Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Pro Tem Hilda Solis, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Thank you for listening, and to keep up with our department on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at LA Public Health. Also, when you have a minute, leave us a review of the podcast in your podcast app. We'd love to know what you think of it so far. And now, Supervisor Solis. Thank you, and good afternoon. I'm Hilda L. Solis, Chair Pro Tem of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. I want to thank you for joining us for today's press briefing. As you'll hear from our public health director, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, we are again at a critical juncture. COVID-19 cases are increasing. Hospitalizations, ICU stays, and use of ventilators are all going up at a concerning rate. Modeling suggests that one in 140 Los Angeles County residents are currently infected with COVID-19 and infectious to others. Only two weeks ago, it was one in 400 Los Angeles County residents who were infected. I wanna be very clear about this. COVID-19 affects everyone. It's not limited to people over 65 or those who have medical conditions. Instead, we continue to learn about young people having severe health impacts from COVID-19. Our youth are our future, and I wanna speak directly to them. We need you well and healthy, and we need you to protect not only the health of your families, but that of yourself, because our world depends on it. Please take this seriously. This extends to wearing face coverings, The evidence is very clear now that if everyone wore a mask and continue physical distancing, our infection rates would go down, and that would allow us to reopen our economy. But wearing it below one's nose or scrunched under one's chin is not doing you or anyone any favors. It's not fashionable, and certainly it's not the appropriate use. Please wear your mask so that it covers your mouth and nose, and that is the only way it works. I urge you to encourage others to do the same. And I also want to remind residents that gatherings remain prohibited. I know it's challenging to be away from family and friends, and the urge to see people is hard to resist. But this can be a matter of life and death. Even if gatherings is in one's backyard or limited to only two households, the impact can be severe. Please find other ways to stay connected. For example, through writing letters or emails to friends, dropping off groceries to your parents' doorstep, or as simple as calling your friends and family. This is how we stay connected and how we stay healthy. I know that the anxiety many are facing is debilitating. It has resulted in loss of sleep for some and lack of nutritional food for others. I want to remind everyone of the importance of sleep, nutritional food, and keeping healthy. Although those with healthy immune systems are not immune to COVID-19, it is true that our bodies need us healthy to combat the virus. Please get rest, eat vegetables, exercise, and keep your immune systems healthy. And lastly, I want to provide a brief update on the action the Board of Supervisors took yesterday, which was coming up with a plan to close Men's Central Jail within one year. The LA County Jail System is not only the largest but has also been ranked as one of the largest mental health facilities in the country. Jails are no place, absolutely no place, for anyone with the mental health needs to be in. Instead, they should be in a therapeutic setting, not a punitive one. Closing Men's Central Jail will further the 
county's commitment to care first and jail last model. For years, those working to reform the criminal justice system have emphasized the need to close this jail, and the COVID-19 pandemic has not only magnified, but also reaffirmed the need to reimagine public safety and public health in LA County. With the closure of Men's Central Jail, we'll be able to assist our most vulnerable community members by shoring up resources for our health system at a time when such added investment is clearly needed. I want to thank all of you. And I would now like to introduce our public health director, Dr. Barbara Ferrer. Uh, thank you so much, Supervisor Solis, and to the entire board for your leadership and unwavering commitment to our residents, particularly to the most vulnerable throughout this pandemic. And good afternoon, everyone. We are, as Supervisor Solis noted, at a very critical juncture in our pandemic. We're entering a phase in which we're seeing community spread and hospitalizations like we saw in late April and what we hoped would be the height of infection here in LA County. But as you've noted this week with us, our cases are rising, the rate of infection is increasing, and the number of hospitalizations are up. And today we're even seeing a small increase in the number of deaths, although this is a data point that usually lags behind all others. Tragically, we do expect that more of our loved ones and our neighbors may die of COVID-19 in the coming weeks with all of the increases we're seeing in hospitalizations. Because of the deeply concerning trend that we're seeing, I wanna go straight today to the daily report on deaths and case counts and then offer some broader context that helps us put this data into perspective. I am sad to report an additional 65 deaths today. 34 of the people who passed away are over the age of 65, and 33 of the people over the age of 65 who passed away had underlying health conditions. 23 people who died are between the ages of 41 and 65, and 13 of the people in this age group had underlying health conditions. Five of the people who died are between the ages of 18 and 40, and four people in this age group had underlying health conditions. Information on the three deaths that's reported by the city of Long Beach uh, are available at longbeach.net. This does bring the total number of deaths in LA County to 3,642 people. 93% of the people who have died from COVID-19 did have underlying health conditions, but a full 7% of the people who passed away did not. And when the numbers get as big as they are today, that 7% represents dozens and dozens of people who may have thought that they were at no risk uh, for having serious illness and even dying for COVID-19. But unfortunately, this virus can affect many, many different people. For the 3,389 people who have passed away where race ethnicity data has been identified, 45% are Latino Latinx, 27% are white, 16% are Asian, 11% are black, less than 1% are native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. We're also reporting 2,496 new cases today. This brings the total number of cases in LA County to 123,004. These cases include 4,690 total cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach 
and 1,415 total cases reported by the City of Pasadena, both of which have independent city health departments. We're also reporting 759 confirmed cases among people experiencing homelessness. Among these cases, 277 were referred to isolation and quarantine sites to appropriately isolate for the duration of their illness. 2,004 confirmed cases of COVID-19 are people who are currently hospitalized. 26% of the people who are confirmed cases are in the ICU and 17% of confirmed cases are on ventilators. We've also investigated a total of 841 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Currently, there are 645 active institutional investigations, but we have closed 196 investigations uh, to date. Residential settings, as I've noted, include nursing homes, assisted living facilities, shelters, treatment centers, supportive living, and correctional facilities. Non-residential settings include workplaces, food and retail, and educational settings. The total number of confirmed cases in institutional settings is 20,714, and that includes 12,424 cases among residents and 8,290 cases among staff. And I'm really sad to report that 1,885 residents in institutional settings have died from COVID-19. 1,696 of the people who passed away resided in skilled nursing facilities. And we extend our heartfelt condolences to all the family members who have lost loved ones. Of the 62 newly reported deaths today, six were among people who lived uh, in our uh, assisted living, in our, in our nursing facilities. Uh, we're also reporting 3,217 confirmed cases at some point in time in our jail facilities. 2,900 were among people who are incarcerated and 317 among staff. The Sheriff's Office is reporting today for their facilities 59 inmates who are positive, 80 people who are incarcerated and have recovered, 88 inmates that are in isolation, and 2,935 people who are incarcerated that are quarantined. There are 185 cases in the state prison, 128 are among people who are incarcerated, and 57 are among staff. And there are 756 cases in the federal prison systems, 741 among people who are incarcerated, and 15 among staff. And our number has stayed steady at 75 cases in the juvenile facilities, 27 among youth and 48 among staff. There have now been uh, 1,229,072 people that have been tested and had results reported to the LA County. 9% of all of the people who have been tested have been positive. But the seven-day average of the daily positivity rate is now climbed to 10.4%. Um, and as you all know, we do watch the daily metrics very carefully and we share them with you either here or online every day. But it's also important to see them in the larger context of seven-day trends. So I do wanna provide a brief update now on some of the indicators we're tracking and the changes that we're seeing over time. Please pull up the first slide. 
This graph shows the seven-day average of daily reported new cases of COVID-19, which, as you see, continues to significantly increase. At the beginning of June, we were averaging 1,300 cases a day, and now we're averaging 2,400 new cases a day. This daily average paints a very clear picture of what has been happening over the last few weeks, which is that here in the county, we are seeing a sharp increase in community transmission. I'll take the next slide, please. This slide shows the seven-day average of the daily percent of positive tests over time, which also, as you can see, from a low point uh, in early May, is now increasing steadily. At the beginning of the pandemic, when we were mostly testing people who were sick, our positivity rate was about 15%. That's back in early April. Now, even though we're testing many asymptomatic people and close contacts, our positivity rate has increased to about 11%. The next slide, please. Uh, this slide shows the past three-day averages over time of daily COVID-19 patients that are hospitalized. And this should be a concerning slide for all of us because it does show that we've had a significant growth in hospitalizations that is continuing, even if you see a slight dip for the last couple of days. Our three-day average uh, at, of people being hospitalized is now at over 1,900 patients. And this is more people hospitalized each day for COVID-19 than really at any other point in the pandemic. We'll take the next slide. Uh, and this slide looks at the past seven-day average of daily deaths. And you will note, fortunately, and we're so grateful for this, that deaths are on a downward trajectory. Uh, but because this is a lagging indicator, we are worried, given the higher rates of hospitalizations, that deaths may go back up, which would be so unfortunate uh, for us to witness here in our county. The next slide. Um, we always want to make sure that we're tracking deaths uh, and hospitalizations and cases uh, by race and ethnicity so we can address head-on issues of disproportionality. And, and as you'll see, uh, the greatest burden of the number of deaths experienced here in L.A. County continues to occur among our Latino and Latinx communities. Uh, and while you see declines in the death rates for all races and ethnicities, unfortunately, the rate of decline among black and Lat Latinx Latinos has not been as much as that that we've seen among our white residents. Next slide. Uh, this slide shows what we call the death rate. This is uh, where we compute the number of deaths over the number over 100,000 people in each population group, which allows us to do more comparisons. Uh, and you'll see that, again, this is frightening uh, in the growing disproportionality that's experienced by blacks and Latinos uh, here in L.A. County. Uh, you'll notice that uh, the highest rates are among our Latino uh, friends and neighbors uh, and in their communities, followed very closely by the experience of blacks and African Americans. Um, and it also shows uh, that if you look at data by the poverty rates in communities, communities with high levels of poverty continue to have four times the mortality rate of communities with little or no poverty. As I've noted for the past weeks, the data is alarming, 
the fact that the gap uh, has not, that we have not been able to narrow this gap is a cause of concern. And it means that we need to redouble all of the efforts to make sure that access to testing, healthcare, support services is there. But we also need to be very mindful of protecting workers, uh, often uh, who may be in job situations uh, where they're not getting the protections they need to protect themselves both at work and then again to protect their community and their families when they go home. Uh, these trends that we see do help us see the big picture of how COVID-19 is affecting our residents and our communities. Uh, and with that in mind, I'm pleased to announce that we've just launched an updated data portal that should make it easier for the news media, for our members in the community, for healthcare professionals, researchers, to be able to get accurate and up-to-date information on what we're seeing across the county, especially at this very critical juncture. It's designed to display the key data points, including important seven-day averages that we look at every day. We hope that the graphic and accessible format of this webpage will assist you in understanding the big picture of COVID-19 conditions here in the county. And as with all of our information, you can access it at publichealth.lacounty.gov. I do want to mention that we have some encouraging news uh, that I want to be able to share uh, because at this time, we know how important it is for all of us to work together if we want to continue to get back on track and slow the spread of the deadly virus. And I'd go on to the next slide. I'm really glad to report that from what our inspectors were able to observe over the 4th of July holiday weekend, businesses and residents seem to be embracing the responsible actions that are so essential to our recovery. Our inspectors were out this weekend and they found significant high rates of compliance to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And this, in fact, is a different picture than what we had seen earlier. Now, I want to be clear that this is just a sample, and it doesn't give us the full picture of what's happening all across the county, but they do show major improvements over the samples that we had seen before, and we do hope that these efforts can be sustained. Inspectors visited 1,101 restaurants between July 3rd and July 5th. And they found that 99% of restaurants were complying with our order to only provide outdoor dining, takeout, or delivery. 98% were complying with all of the physical distancing requirements. 99% of customers were appropriately wearing their face coverings. And 82% of employees were wearing their appropriate face coverings, which included face shields. The 82 bars that were visited were all closed, as were the eight breweries and wineries that were visited. In addition, the inspectors visited 74 hotels. 90% were complying with the physical distancing requirements, and 97% were complying with the wearing of face coverings. And I'm so grateful uh, for all the cooperation we're seeing from both businesses and residents alike, because it's encouraging to note that this is a county where when people put their mind to it, they actually make sure that something good happens. So my message to all of us who call LA County our home today is a plea to keep up the good work that our inspectors saw out there over the holiday weekend. Continue to avoid the three C's, crowds, confined spaces, and close contact with people you don't live with. Stay home if you can as much as possible. 
If you need to go out for work or important errands, please wear your face covering and wear it correctly. It should cover both your mouth and your nose. If you don't wear a face covering correctly, it protects no one. And remember, even though we all miss the way it used to be, it still isn't safe or smart to return to seeing friends and family we don't live with. You could be infected without knowing it and pass along a virus that could be fatal to someone you love. This awareness, the knowledge that we truly are our sisters and brothers keepers, gives us the power to slow the devastating spread of the virus. And I now will turn it over to my colleague, Dr. Christina Galley, the Director of the Department of Health Services. Good afternoon. I want to first talk today briefly about testing access within Los Angeles County, and then I'll shift to talking about the hospital bed demand projections that the Department of Health Services has been working on over the past several months. First on texting, testing access. As all of you know, testing appointments are booked for the remainder of the week in Los Angeles County. This issue is affecting both the city-funded, the county-funded, as well as the state-funded testing sites, as well as many sites that are operated by private providers and pharmacies and clinics who post their testing access points on the county and city website. I know this is concerning to many people, so I want to provide some clarification about what's going on and what can be done about it. First, appointments are at capacity for a few reasons both because several city and county funded test sites had reduced testing availability over the July 4th holiday weekend for planned closures. This shortage of testing and the reduction in testing access was not, contrary to some uh, news briefings, was not because of any test kit shortage or because of any resource shortages. Second, the mismatch between supply and demand in the testing sites recently is also because we've seen a huge spike in the number of patients who are seeking access to testing. And there's a broad desire for individuals to get tested, to know if they might have COVID, to know if they might have been exposed and are test positive. We think this is the major factor that's driving that mismatch. That said, especially given the rising test positivity rate that Dr. Ferrer just mentioned, which is exceeding 10%, the county is working to address this in a few ways. First, we are adding additional slots to existing test sites wherever possible. Second, we're working on standing up new county-funded test sites, which will be stood up over the next two to three weeks. We're focusing on particularly vulnerable areas, focusing on some of those areas geographically that Dr. Ferrer mentioned that have disproportionately high mortality rates, have documented low access to testing, and have documented high test positivity rates. And third, DHS continues to work with providers to be able to establish new testing access points for the community as well as for their own individual patients. In the last three weeks, 18 new sites were added on the county's website as access points for the general public through this private and public provider system. This is in addition to, to testing sites that were stood up within the established healthcare system and that are not listed on the county's website. While the county is committed to ramping up testing broadly, I know that we can't do it alone, and I'm grateful to the cities that have stepped up to use their federal stimulus funding as the county has to support testing access. 
Support from the state and the federal government will also be critical as we navigate the road ahead, especially to troubleshoot a few issues. First, supply chain concerns and shortages, funding and reimbursement support, and clarity about who needs to be tested, particularly in the setting of potentially constrained supply chains. As we face what's ahead, though, it's important for us to consider the role of testing in the fight against COVID and really think about who needs to be tested. So let's back up a little bit. So in medicine, many tests, as you all know, are used to inform treatment. As just one example, if you have strep throat, you go to the doctor, you test positive for strep, they'll give you an antibiotic. And this cures you of the infection and it helps prevent the downstream complications of strep throat. Unfortunately for COVID-19, there is no medicine that is proven to improve outcomes among an outpatient population. So among a population that is not hospitalized, or is not sick enough to be hospitalized. We also use tests to identify people who have the infection so that we can help prevent them from spreading it to others. And this is then, in addition to testing people who are in the hospital and are seriously sick, this is the main indication of testing for COVID-19. But as we've learned, an individual is most infectious before they are symptomatic, and some spread the virus despite the fact that they never have symptoms. They remain asymptomatic their entire course. So taking this into account, we have to remember a couple of things about what a test can and cannot reasonably do. A test reflects whether or not you are likely to have the virus only on the one single day on which you were tested. This means two things. One, even on that day, your test could be wrong. All tests, including COVID-19 tests, including tests that are approved by the FDA and have generally good test characteristics, all tests can be wrong and you might have a false negative. Second, even if your test is correct, even which most tests I would say are, and even if it actually is negative today, that only means that on the day that you were tested, you were negative for the virus. It doesn't mean anything about the next day or the day after that or the day after that. Obviously, taking this into account, is it's really not feasible or realistic for testing to be done given the status of laboratory capacity in the United States on a scale or scope that could allow us to identify everyone who has the virus every day. This is not a sustainable testing approach. These basic facts about how the virus is spread is the reason why public health authorities and our own LA Department of Public Health does not recommend testing among a general asymptomatic population. Finally, please remember that you should not be expected by your employer to get a negative test in order to return to work. This strategy of testing for return to work whether or not you had COVID previously is not recommended by any public health group at the local, state, or federal level. While the county and the health system in general are working to ramp up test, testing, it's very likely that in the days and the weeks to come, testing access will continue to be insufficient to meet the demands among all of those who want to be tested, particularly if the supply chain becomes increasingly constrained as we see other states also ramp up their testing access. In managing this, we'll be turning to our knowledge about the virus to offer guidance. So I'll ask you to think about four things. First, learn the Department of Public Health criteria for who needs to be tested. There's three general criteria. People with symptoms. If you have symptoms, you absolutely can get a test, but I would always encourage you to discuss your specific situation with your provider. 
Second, people who live or work in high-risk congregate settings. Testing is key in these settings because the risk and consequences of transmission is so serious. And third, if you're a known exposure to someone who tested positive for the virus, this is the type of testing, as I mentioned, that's critical for public health purposes to be able to trace contacts and identify those who might transmit the virus to others. The second thing, if you are experiencing symptoms of COVID-19, you need to isolate yourself. Keep your physician informed about your symptoms. If you're elderly or you have underlying health conditions that put you at serious risk of bad outcomes from COVID-19, we especially want you to discuss with your physician and seek medical care early so that you can be properly cared for. If you don't have a physician, you can obtain one through the county or through a number of community clinics. If you don't know where to go, you can call 211 for connection to a physician. And obviously, if you are having trouble breathing or you're having serious symptoms at the moment, please call 911 or go to the nearest emergency department. The third thing, if you were exposed to someone with a known infection, then you need to quarantine yourself for 14 days. This is irrespective of whether or not you got a test and even if the test is negative. A COVID test should never be used to end that 14-day quarantine early. The final thing is that health officer orders are there really to allow us to reopen safely, to allow us to get back the businesses going, get people back to work, to try to reopen society, but do it in a way that controls the virus and reduces transmission. In keeping this in mind, remember a negative test can never reassure you that you have not been exposed, and it can't reassure you that you won't be positive tomorrow or the day after that. Given that, a negative test should never be used as a free pass to engage in social activities that aren't otherwise recommended. And it's not a ticket that would allow others to think that they're safe to interact with you. It is not safe. I know we all want answers, and that's natural as part of being a human. But please realize that a COVID test should really, in very many circumstances, not change your behavior with respect to interacting with others outside of your household and should not change your need to quarantine or isolate if your conditions fit the need to do so. I'll shift now to talking about the hospital bed demand model. Before we go through the slides, I just want to acknowledge that COVID-19, as I think we can all uh, uh, affirm, that it makes us feel like we're on a bit of a roller coaster and a roller coaster that's in the dark. We can't see what's ahead, but we know that there's dips, shifts up, shifts down, inclines, falls, and leveling off, and each week the numbers seem to change. We are all in this time of uncertainty together. The purpose of the modeling effort, though, is to inform us, and importantly, to help prepare the hospital systems for what might come ahead, taking into account the full range of potential possibilities regarding the demand for hospital-level services, even when that potential range is broad. Turning to the slide, before looking at this week's data, I want to take a step back and remind you of what we showed you last week with respect to uncertainty and how we use that to predict what lies ahead. In this slide from last week, we showed the model's predictions regarding the range of possibilities for the number of daily new cases of COVID-19 that require hospitalization. The model uses data on the recent number of new daily hospitalizations of patients with COVID-19. This is shown by those white dots, and it uses that to determine what rate of transmission was occurring in the communities a few weeks, generally three or so weeks prior to that. 
the increase in daily hospitalizations seen between June 15th and June 25th told the model that that effective transmission number, or that R, had increased a couple of weeks, a few weeks prior, because it takes that few weeks for individuals to infect others and then for those people to be sick enough to need to seek hospitalization. Based on the model's estimate of R from a couple of weeks ago, the model makes a prediction for the range of potential possibilities moving forward. And importantly, it does so while assuming that the R from a couple of weeks ago has continued to stay constant. The important thing to understand is that the range of possibilities that are predicted is shown by that full red area and not the single white line. Rather, the single white line in the middle of the red shaded area is not one single prediction. It is just the middle road in what is a range of potential future possibilities. So starting this week to avoid confusion, we've removed the white line from the graphics because it's easily misinterpreted as being a single expected prediction rather than what the slide really is, which is a range of patterns that the model believes are all possible. In the next slide, in contrast to what we showed you last week, there has been, thankfully, a leveling off in the number of daily new hospitalizations with COVID-19 among the 7911 receiving facilities that report their data to Los Angeles County. However, realize these numbers are still at an all-time high, as Dr. Ferrer mentioned, and this is cause in and of itself for deep concern. As you can see, the number of new cases is actually lower than the edge of the red shaded area from last week. This is because recall that that red shaded area shows the range of possibilities under the assumption that the R from a couple of weeks ago stayed the same. The fact that the number of cases didn't go up as much as that as the R didn't stay up, it went back down as shown on the next slide. This is a good thing. The next slide shows the changes in R, that effective transmission number over time, that explains the ups and downs and the leveling off that we've seen in the daily new number of cases. And as you can see, the R went up in the first half of June and is now hovering at around one. One is really a turning point in the epidemiology of how we consider this virus and the trend of cases. If you're at one, very small differences make a huge potential change in the model and in what we might see in reality. Because if you're more than one, then the number of cases will steadily increase over time. And if you're less than one, then the number of new cases will steadily decline. An R of one a couple of weeks ago is why the number of new cases appears to be leveling out, but at a much higher level than the daily cases and that we saw and were reported in May. Again, the reopening order for certain businesses started in late May, and with reopening comes a reduction in social distancing and physical distancing, which causes transmission. We believe this was the main cause for that uptick that we've seen. Finally, on slide eight, the bottom line of what this means practically is that we do believe still that our hospital system, even at those higher bands of uncertainty, is still prepared and able to care for the expected and potential incoming number of patients who need care for COVID as well as non-COVID related illnesses. However, if transmission again rises, then we could see numbers of patients that could still put a strain on our hospital system. This is well within that red range of uncertainty and should be a stark reminder of the need for continued vigilance with following public health measures. 
It is important to note a few other changes in what we're seeing on the ground in the hospitals and that we're working to capture in the model. So a couple of things. ED volume is up. We had seen it be down in April and in May. ED volume is back up. It's back up for a number of reasons, but it's also up and increased significantly with patients presenting with COVID-like symptoms. Many of these people, thankfully, are not sick enough to need to be hospitalized and they can go home. However, they may not be tested in the hospital since they're being discharged home, and so they might not be reflected in the case counts. Rather, they're being sent home, as I mentioned, to isolated home for the full duration of the need to isolate based on their symptoms. Many of these people are also younger and healthier, and they don't have underlying health conditions. Their bodies are thus better able to fight the virus, and that's why we don't see the same high hospitalization rates among that ED group. But that doesn't mean that they themselves can't become very sick. Certainly some are and will. And at the same time, it doesn't mean that those people can't go on to infect others. If they're interacting with people who are elderly or who are more vulnerable because of their underlying health conditions, then they can transmit the virus to others and put them at great risk. So all of this means that we need to continue to work hard to stem transmission of this virus and that what happens in our hospitals really reflects what's going on in our communities. We are all on this roller coaster of COVID-19 and the only thing that we can control right now is how we limit our interactions with others, how we physically distance, and when we wear our masks, which should be every time we leave the house. This will be our reality for a while, but if we stay the course, keep the R low, can keep the transmission down, then we can save lives and maintain our hospital system for all those who need it. We're now ready for questions. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you do wish to ask a question, please press one then zero at this time. Our first question will come from the line of Josh Haskell with ABC7. Please go ahead, your line is open. Yeah, question for uh, Dr. Galley. You had talked about um, how these next few weeks are going to be tough in terms of testing, and we may not have uh, all of the, the structure in place to meet the demand. And even this week, there aren't any appointments left, uh, as you flagged. I'm just wondering, you know, over four months into this, um, how, how, are, how do we find ourselves at this place where there's just not enough testing sites, not enough appointments? Are there discussions taking place to extend hours, 24-hour testing sites? How do we fix this? And I'm also hoping if Dr. Pereira can talk a little bit about her message on schools that she gave yesterday. Thanks for the question. It's an important one. Uh, obviously, this virus, the epidemiology, the case rates, it's all changing very rapidly. So I would say a few things. One, remember, and the data is all posted on the testing dashboard that we post weekly. Uh, up until even a week ago, there were thousands of unused slots that were available across the city and the county every week. Uh, so there really was adequate testing. It's really only over the past one to two weeks where that mismatch of supply and demand has become increasingly apparent. We've taken several steps to address it. One is, as I've mentioned, working with the established healthcare system to continue to ramp up capacity, which they can and should be doing. Second, it is adding slots at test sites within the county sites, and we've done so. We're also, as I've mentioned, continuing to look at adding slots. Sometimes that means exchanging the hours. Sometimes that means just adding more staff within the same hours, but still being able to increase the overall number of slots. And then, as 
I've mentioned, and thanks to the Board of Supervisors and to the county for being willing to put in additional money to launch new testing sites. So we'll make an announcement uh, once we confirm the contracts on the specific site logistics where those sites will be located. But we are looking to add uh, a, right now around eight or so new county-funded testing sites. Uh, this is in addition, again, to the sites that are offered through the city as well as by the state. And we can continue to be appreciative of all of the partnership across the board to be able to, to uh, add testing. I will say, though, we absolutely have to watch the supply chain, and that's why it's so important for people to really understand if they need to get tested and if they do, how to do so, which is always first best to contact your physician and discuss your specific situation in cases. Get tested there if possible, and if not, you can seek care in one of the county-funded sites with those slots increasing. Our next question will come from the line of David Rosenfeld with LA Daily News. Please go ahead. Um, hang on just one Hi. sec. Hang on just one sec because I, I do want to answer the second part of the question oh, uh, about schools. No, no, it's not your fault at all. Um, so, um, yeah, so I, I have um, telebriefings on a regular basis with lots of different sectors to talk through what reopening uh, protocols can look like. Uh, so that we can do sector reopenings with as much safety as possible. And we've been obviously working with all of the school districts on this for, for many, many weeks uh, and, and plan on continuing to work with them on having protocols for reopening with as much safety as possible. Uh, the conversation yesterday really uh, also noted that, uh, and many districts have already uh, been doing this, that you know, with the uncertainty that we face right now in our county, uh, everyone needs to have sort of a, a, a plan B uh, around the reopening. And, uh, and the plan B has always been a plan that if there was way too much community transmission, uh, it may in fact mean that there has to be a longer period of time for there to be more virtual learning as opposed to more uh, on-campus learning. And so that, that was really, I, I think, um, all that was said was that it's really important when we have so much community transmission to understand the impact is far-reaching on opening not only on the reopening not only of school campuses but also of other sectors that still haven't reopened we would never open uh, any other sectors without looking at our data I mean that's always been what's driven our reopening practices here is making sure we're paying a lot of attention to what's going on you absolutely would not want to open a sector when you thought that uh, the result of a reopening could be an explosion of outbreaks uh, within that sector. So we're going to continue to be mindful of, uh, of what our data is telling us at the same time, uh, as was noted in the call yesterday, uh, we're moving ahead with issuing the protocols for reopening uh, school campuses. And we do that, of course, uh, in a lot of collaboration with both the Board of Supervisors, but also uh, with all of the superintendents and the districts uh, who have done sort of a, an amazing amount of work to try to prepare for opening uh, their campuses with as much safety as possible. And now we'll go on to that next question. And once again, that comes from the line of David Rosenfeld with LA Daily News. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks very much. Actually, I have a follow-up to that. Um, do you, can you say when those protocols will come out? Um, and uh, can you respond to statements by President Trump saying that you know he might withhold funding uh, to places that don't reopen fully their schools? Do you think that's helpful? 
Um, yeah, no, thank, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, so we've, we've been working on the protocols for schools for a long time, and we do hope that they'll, they'll, we'll be able to issue them uh, because they're a planning document for schools to use as they're putting in place their own individualized uh, plans for uh, reopening with as much safety as possible. So those should go out, I'm hoping, by the end of this week, early next week, um, so that everyone actually has them. Many people have reviewed them. They've been in draft and been circulating uh, so that folks can understand uh, what, uh, how, we're, how we're actually mirroring what's happening with the state guidance and mirroring what we see uh, coming out of CDC. You know, there are just some best practices uh, to opening uh, school environments uh, with as much safety as possible, and we've been working hard to really collect all of that and be able to summarize it in a, what we hope is a, a useful planning tool uh, for school districts to use. And, you know, I don't, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're working here uh, in conjunction uh, with all of the county school districts and with our supervisors and with the governor's office on making sure that we're doing right by students, by teachers, by staff, and by the families of all of the students, teachers, and staff. Um, and I think that's really the goal for us to stay focused on here. Um, I'll leave the politics around this to, to other people. Like, uh, this is really a time for us to make sure that uh, we're doing everything we can to protect the health and safety uh, of everyone who lives in this county. And I think we have a unified team here in our county that's, you know, sort of making informed decisions uh, to reduce as much the risk that's uh, uh, really attached to a novel coronavirus, COVID-19, uh, wherever we can and do that in manners that offer as much safety as possible. And we're going to stay on that road as we move forward. I will take the next question. That comes from the line of Patrick Keeley with NBC4. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you very much. A couple of testing questions, please. First off, uh, do you think these new rapid tests with same-day results, uh, the antigen tests, uh, would be beneficial if we would put more emphasis in that area rather than having to rely on the lengthy laboratory testing? And secondly, I'd like Dr. Galley to uh, perhaps uh, make sure I'm understanding correctly the new messaging here on testing. Number one is we're moving away from this idea that, that everyone should be able to test it. It's only if you have a specific urgent need. And secondarily, clarify, for everyone who gets a test, even if they test negative, they should still remain quarantined for 14 days. Is that correct? Yes, I'll take the second part of your question first. So yes, that's correct. Uh, if you've been told by your provider or by a public health official that you need to quarantine because you had an exposure to someone who was known to be positive, then yes, you need to quarantine for the full 14 days. Uh, now, if you do choose to get tested and you get tested and that test is positive, you would shift over into isolation protocol out of the quarantine protocol. But even if your test is negative, you still need to quarantine for the full 14 days. And that's because the incubation of period of the virus can last up to 14 days. So if you got tested, say, on day five after your exposure, sure, it might be positive. You might have gotten the virus and you might have had your test convert to a positive test, but it might still convert for the next nine days. And so that's the continued need to remain in quarantine for the full 14 days, regardless of the test result. On the first part of that question, you said it's really for people with an urgent need. Certainly, if you have an urgent need, yes, that's one criteria, but it really is broader than that. 
that. Um, and I would refer you back to those Department of Public Health criteria for who needs to get tested that's on their website and that's been distributed out to all providers across Los Angeles County. And it's those three general categories. If you have symptoms, if you live or work in a high-risk congregate care settings, there's further guidance on the website about that. And then if you are a an ex known exposure to someone who tested positive. And the reason for that last one is to make sure that if you are positive, still, yes, you need to quarantine, but if you're positive so that then public health can go do contact tracing on your contacts and help to reduce the further transmission of the virus. That, your first question was on rapid tests. Yes, uh, I was excited to see the FDA grant EUA approval to a new antigen test on Monday. I think it speaks to just the continued innovation among the uh, laboratory science and bioscience community. I know there's a lot of labs out there that are working to get different kinds of tests, like the antigen test, not just the PCR tests uh, to market. So this, I would say in general, is a good sign. Uh, it's also very good, as you mentioned, because um, if the test characteristics prove true, it's much more more rapid and hopefully can um, diagnose people much more quickly. So the turnaround times on the vast majority of labs are still around three days. Some labs, because of reagent shortages and allocation of test kits and extraction kits, are running at much longer than that. And this test at least markets itself as being able to be positive within 15 minutes. Uh, so there's still you know, questions about test characteristics and the supply chain and the availability, but I think it's very promising and just speaks to that innovation out there in the market, and I would continue it to keep coming. We'll take the next question. That question will come from the line of Claudia Eschueta with KNX News Radio. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, I just want to clarify a couple of things first. You said hospitalizations have leveled off, but daily hospitalization numbers provided by public health show the numbers have continued to go up. So if you could clarify that. And given everything you're saying about testing, do you think the city of L.A. should stop offering and encouraging testing for all? And then um, I do have a question about schools. Since you expect to put out the guidance in the next few days, given the current trends, do you expect that campuses will reopen in any fashion in August? Thank you. Uh, thanks, Claudia. Um, the hospitalization data, there's two ways of looking at it. One is new admissions, which is used for the modeling, and the other is the daily census, which is what we use uh, when we're looking at uh, what's happening uh, every day in our hospital, sort of what, how many beds are patients with COVID-19 taking up. Um, they both are uh, complementary and they kind of align, uh, but obviously we have a slight increase in the daily census and we've had a pretty steady number uh, in terms of new admissions. Obviously the daily census really reflects how long people are staying in the hospital as well as how many new admissions there are. Uh, and then in terms of the schools, um, you know, we are prepared. We've been working really hard on the protocols. The plans need to, uh, the protocols need to be issued uh, pretty soon so that schools will have them as they go about making preparations. Our hope remains that uh, school districts that are preparing to be able to open with the modifications that are required in the protocols can still go ahead, get their plans in place. If we all do our part, I assume that uh, at the end of July, our numbers will stabilize again. And, you know, again, when our numbers are fairly stable and we don't see these rapid increases, uh, it's a lot more possible uh, to look at the options around uh, reopening uh, other sectors. And, and I think that's where we are at the moment. So we'll take a, we'll take a, Dr. Galley will answer. Hi, Claudia. I'll take your, your question on testing. 
so the city's been a fantastic partner across the board in, in offering testing access to people. So again, my appreciation to the city in doing that. Uh, while we're in this period of supply-demand mismatch where there's more demand for tests than there is supply, again, I would encourage everyone to look at those criteria of who really needs to be tested and think about that and discuss with your provider before you try to sign up for a test. And certainly the guidance is from public health departments, from the state, from the CDC, is that when supply uh, is not adequate to meet whatever the demand is, is that the testing be prioritized for those populations that really do need a test. We'll take the next question. That comes from the line of Brian Mele uh, with the Associated Press. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, thank you. Um, I'm wondering how many contact tracers the county now has, and with the current surge, what percentage of cases are you able to successfully trace? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. Um, we're we're uh, really up um, over 2,000 contact tracers right now. Uh, I want to really acknowledge the state has been a tremendous partner, as have the city. Uh, we're in the process uh, with the state of sort of onboarding and training about 800 new contact tracers uh, that are with us now, but will obviously continue to, to be trained over this next week. Um, right now, we're keeping up. Um, obviously, we've had a, a tremendous increase, but we had anticipated having an increase. And I want to let folks know our plans actually call for us to be able to manage upwards of 5,000 new cases a day. We hope we never get there. But like with everybody else that we ask for their full cooperation, we too make plans that we hope we never have to use. And one of those plans is to make sure we continue to have a lot of capacity uh, to uh, actually um, get in touch with people who are positive. Right now, we, uh, we complete an interview uh, with a, uh, what we call a case about 75% of the time where we have correct contact information. We lose somewhere between 5 and 9% of people uh, are lost to follow-up because we can't find accurate information. You know, we, we have a team that actually works to find people. Uh, but of the people where we have accurate information, which is the vast majority, uh, we do, in fact, reach and complete the interview process with about 75%. There are, of course, people who are scared to talk to us, and there are people who have other reasons why they're fearful. I'd like to reassure everybody, any information you give us is confidential. We don't share it with anyone. And we also don't share your name with anybody, even when you identify close contacts we never call the close contacts and say, oh, you were infected by Barbara Ferrer. We would never do that. We don't give out that kind of information. We just let them know that they had an exposure, and we tell them what they need to do. So the information is 100% confidential. People speak many different languages on our contact tracing team. Uh, we try to also use that as an opportunity to connect people to resources who may need help around quarantining and isolation. The most important thing is for people to feel comfortable taking our calls or returning our calls so we can get information, and that helps protect everyone in our community. We'll take the next question. That comes from the line of Jim Roop with Westwood One News. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, in appealing to people, their common sense or using science to explain the importance of wearing masks, physical distancing, all the other directives that are out there, uh, it, it seems, though, as much as the attempt and the effort toward that, this has become political in, in many ways, to the point where an elected leader will say they don't agree with the CDC. I'm talking elected leaders who have no 
background in science or medicine or anything, and that's who people listen to. So it, knowing that this has become political, is there any way to to come up with a political remedy for this, any way to get people on both sides of the aisle, any aisle, uh, to get on the same page and say the same thing in an effort to try and get people to adhere to the mandates? Is that at all possible, or is there a plan for that? Well, it's a really good question, and I think that's why we have this uh, press briefing every other day, because we know how critically important it is for people to understand where the science is, where the data is. And where the data is leading us right now is that people have not been adhering to the health orders appropriately in some places around the country, but even around Los Angeles County. We're saying at this point we see, we see an uptick. And the only way we can reverse that and really get back to normal at some point, opening, opening up the economy, getting back to a normal schedule, is that people adhere. And that means using a face cloth, covering your nose, your mouth, when you go outside, and also being very mindful, even when you have a mixed a group of people, one that lives in a household and maybe other people coming from another household, that it is equally important to wear masks because you don't know where the folks that don't live in your household may have been. That's just common sense. And I just want to say that it's unfortunate that there are some leaders that don't believe in, in terms of data and science and the fact that we, we have an obligation as elected officials, I believe, to really give the best information. So um, I'd, I'd like to ask uh, Dr. Uh, Ferrer to please opine on that as well. Yeah, thanks so much. I think Supervisor Solis said it best. I mean, this isn't a political issue. This is about people helping each other so that we survive through a pandemic that we never expected and wish we weren't in the middle of. I also want to note that, that here in L.A. County, all of our political leaders, uh, for the most part, have in fact embraced the fact that we need to be driven by the science. We have an entire board of supervisors. Uh, we have mayors from all across the county all saying the same thing. You know, we need to wear our masks. We need to keep our distance. We need to adhere to the health officer order. So I don't think it has to be political because our county represents uh, a really a, a broad swath of, uh, of what happens ac across the whole country in terms of uh, where people may feel their allegiance lies in terms of uh, a political party. But I think everyone, everyone can get behind the common sense message. The science tells us we need to protect each other. And the way to do that, the tools we have right now are to keep our respiratory droplets to ourselves by wearing the face covering and to keep our distance from those who are not in our family. Uh, those things save lives, and uh, you know, I don't think there's anything political about saving lives. I think we're all in this together, and we all want to get behind saving lives. And now we have time for one more question. And that question will come from the line of Jackie Fortier, KPCC. Please go ahead. Hi. Um, I've been told by people uh, in the health department that some of the labs are simply overwhelmed, uh, that some are even having to fax in the test results to the county health department. And obviously that would greatly affect contact tracing. I mean, we saw even this week, I think over a thousand cases were reported in a backlog by one lab. How is lab, rep lab reporting being fixed? Uh, 
Hi, I'll start and then I'll turn it over to Dr. Ferrer for speak on the lab reporting. I will just say that, that a lot of the labs that have stepped into this testing area are new labs. Obviously, this is a new test. Uh, and so I think that they are making great strides to all get on the ELR and the CalReady system and begin to report. But obviously, there's a ramp up in the internal capabilities of the labs, and this certainly is taking time. And we're seeing that in response to some of the earlier questions, that there's just um, some slow turnaround time across the board, and that reflects both the demand for tests, the volume of tests, the speed with which this is ramped up, some of those supply chain issues, and that affects staffing and the IT systems as well. We'll take the next question. Actually, we'll, we'll turn it over to Spanish comments. Thank you very much. Buenas tardes. Yo soy la supervisora Hilda Soriz, representando el condado de Los Ángeles. Les doy las gracias a todos ustedes para acompañarnos hoy día. Hoy van a escuchar de nuestra directora, uh, well, representante del de Departamento de Salud Público, porque estamos en una nueva etapa crítica. Los casos de COVID-19 están subiendo. Muchas personas están en los hospitales sobreviviendo porque dependen de ventiladores para poder respirar. Esto es muy preocupante. Cifras nos enseñan que un de cada 140 personas en el condado tiene el virus y están infectando a otras personas. Hace solo dos semanas que un de cada 400 residentes del condado tienen el virus. Quiero ser muy claro sobre esto. COVID-19 afecta a todo el mundo. No se limita a las personas mayores de 60 o 5 años. Aquellos que tienen condiciones médicas como asma, diabetes y cáncer, no solamente son los que están impactados. En cambio, seguimos viendo que jóvenes también tienen graves impactos de salud por COVID-19. A los que tienen 18 a 30 años. Nuestra juventud en nuestro es el futuro y queremos que ustedes escuchen. Necesitamos que están bien y sanos y necesitamos que ustedes se protejan, no solo la salud, pero de sus familias, sino a de las ustedes también. Ustedes, los jóvenes, se tienen que cuidar de este virus. Por favor, tomen esto en serio. Deben usar mascarillas de tela para la cara. La evidencia es claro que si todos usamos una mascarilla de tela para la cara y continuamos manteniendo distancia con las demás, podemos bajar las tasas de infección y eso nos dejará abrir nuestra economía más pronto. Pero deben de ponerse mascarillas de la tela para la cara correctamente. De ponerse una mascarilla de tela para la cara debajo de la nariz y no, eso no ayuda. Debe de tapar su nariz y boca. No debe solo ponérsela sobre la barbilla. Por favor, asegurarse de que sus mascarillas de tela para la cara cubre su boca y nariz. Así protege protegeramos a los que están cerca de ustedes. Les pido aquí que se también uh, animan 
y que otras personas también nos ayudan en este ejemplo. También quiero recordarles que no deben juntarse en grupos grandes. Yo sé que es difícil ahora que quedarnos lejos de la familia y de amigos, y es el deseo de verlos, es difícil a resistir, pero usted puede ser una cuestión de vida o muerte. Incluso si una reunión es afuera, en el patio o entre dos familias, el impacto puede ser grave también. Por favor, tengan cuidado. Encuentra otras formas de mantenerse. Conectando, por ejemplo, escribiendo cartas o corridos electrónicos con amigos, dejando comida en la puerta de sus padres. o Un ejemplo, pues, para de decir uh, que quieren a saludar y hablar con familias dentro de sus teléfonos. Así es como nosotros mantenemos contactos con nuestras personas. Yo sé que se siente en estos momentos, por, por ejemplo, ansioso. Esto puede resultar en la pérdida de sueño para algunos y falta de alimentos para otros. Yo quiero recordarles a todos la importancia de dormir, de comer bien y de mantenerse sano. Nuestros cuerpos tienen que ser sanos para combatir este virus. Por favor, descansen, coman saludable, hagan ejercicio y mantengan sus cuerpos y mentes saludables. Por último, quiero hablar brevemente sobre la acción que tomamos ayer en la Junta de Supervisores. Ayer sobre el plan para cerrar la cárcel de central de hombres dentro de un año. Eso fue una moción que yo puse. Estamos haciendo esto para promover la idea de cuidado primero, cárcel después. Con el cierre de este cárcel, vamos a poder ayudar a los más vulnerables en nuestras comunidades. En, en cuanto también podemos ofrecerles recursos para promover su salud. Sabemos que esto es muy, muy necesario. Durante años, aquellos que trabajan para reformar el sistema de justicia han dicho que tenemos que cerrar este cárcel. Y la pandemia de COVID-19 no solo ha magnificado esto, sino que también ha reformado la necesidad de mejorar y cambiar la seguridad y la salud pública del condado. Tenemos que invertir en recursos para ayudar a los demás vulnerables. Y en este momento tenemos que hacerlo. Muchísimas gracias y ahora me da mucho gusto presentar la señorita Jacqueline Valenzuela del Departamento de Salud Público. Buenas tardes. Estamos en un momento crítico en, este, en esta crisis. Estamos entrando en una fase que estamos viendo propagación en la comunidad y, estas, eh, y hospital, hospitalizaciones como vimos a fines de abril. En lo que esperábamos que fuera la altura de la infección eh, aquí en el condado de Los Ángeles. Pero como hemos visto esta semana, en nuestros casos, la tasa de infección, la cantidad de hospitalizaciones, todos han aumentado. Y hoy vemos aumentos pequeños en el número de fallecimientos, aunque es un dato que generalmente se queda atrás de los demás. Debido a los datos preocupantes que hemos estado viendo, hoy nos gustaría ir directamente a nuestro informe diario sobre fallecimientos y conteos de casos, a luego ofrecer un contexto más amplio que nos ayuda a poner en, en esos datos en perspectiva. 
Hoy estamos tristes de reportar 65 fallecimientos adicionales. Esto eleva el número total de fallecimientos a 3,642 en el condado de Los Ángeles. El 93% de las personas que, fallecían, que, perdón, que fallecieron por COVID-19 tenían condiciones delicadas de salud. Para las 3,389 personas que fallecieron donde se identificó la raza de etnicidad, el 45% son latinas, el 27% son blancas, el 16% son asiáticas, el 11% son afroamericanas, menos de un por ciento son nativos de Hawái o de las Islas del Pacífico y un por ciento son de otra raza etnicidad. Hoy también estamos reportando 2,496 uh, casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total de casos en el condado de Los Ángeles a 1,023,4. Estamos reportando 759 casos confirmados entre personas sin hogar. Y actualmente hay 2,004 casos confirmados de COVID-19 que están hospitalizados. El 26% de estas personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y el 17% están en ventiladores. Hemos investigado un total de 841 entornos de congregación residencial y no residenciales con al menos un caso de COVID-19 confirmado. El total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 20,714, incluidos tanto el personal como los residentes. 12,422 de estos casos confirmados son residentes y 8,290 son empleados. Nos da tristeza informar que 1,885 residentes en entornos institucionales han fallecido por causas de COVID-19. 1,696 de estas personas residían en centros de enfermería especializada. Hoy también reportamos 3,217 casos confirmados en algún momento en las cárceles. Eh, 2,900 entre personas encarceladas y 317 empleados. La oficina del Aguacil informa sobre sus instalaciones que 59 personas encarceladas han dado resultados positivos. 780 personas encarceladas se han recuperado. 88 personas eh, están en aislamiento y 2,935 están en cuarentena. Hay 185 casos en la prisión estatal y 756 casos en las prisiones federales. Hay 75 casos en las instalaciones juveniles. 1,229,072 personas han sido evaluadas uh, para COVID-19 y se han reportado resultados uh, al condado de Los Ángeles. El 9% de estas pruebas fueron positivas. El promedio de 7 días de la tasa de positividad diaria eh, ahora ha aumentado a 10.4%. Seguimos, eh, perdón, me gustaría actualizarles sobre algunos de los datos que estamos siguiendo y los cambios que hemos visto eh, a través del tiempo. Uh, first slide, please. 
Este gráfico muestra el promedio de siete días de nuevos casos de COVID-19 uh, que son reportados a diario que continúan aumentando. Al principio de junio estábamos viendo 1,300 casos al día y ahora estamos viendo 2,434 casos nuevos al día. Este promedio de siete días muestra claramente que el condado de Los Ángeles está viendo un fuerte aumento en la transmisión comunitaria. Next slide. Este gráfico muestra el promedio de siete días del porcentaje diario de pruebas eh, positivas a lo largo del tiempo, que es cada vez más constante. Al comienzo de la pandemia, en su mayoría estábamos evaluando a personas enfermas y nuestra tasa de positividad era del 15% a principios de abril. Ahora, a pesar de que muchas personas sin síntomas son evaluadas, nuestra tasa de positividad es de alrededor del 11%. Next slide. Este gráfico muestra el promedio de los últimos tres días de pacientes diarios con COVID-19 que están hospitalizados. Este gráfico es preocupante. Uh, muestra que el crecimiento en hospitalizaciones continúa. Esta es una prueba más de que lo que podemos esperar uh, es que los fallecimientos aumenten en los próximos días y semanas. Ahora estamos viendo un promedio de tres días de 1,965 personas hospitalizadas, eh, que es más personas hospitalizadas cada día por COVID-19 que en cualquier momento durante la pandemia. Next slide. Este gráfico muestra el promedio de muertes diarias de los últimos siete días. Parece que los fallecimientos eh, están disminuyendo, pero este es un indicador riesgado, así que existe la posibilidad que veamos que los fallecimientos vuelvan a subir, eh, dado el aumento en hospitalizaciones. Next slide. Este gráfico muestra el número diario de muertes por raza, etnicidad, que como se ve en la línea María, latinos siguen teniendo el mayor número de fallecimientos diarios. Y aunque vemos disminuciones en todas las razas y etnicidades, eh, la tasa entre afroamericanos y latinos eh, no ha disminuido tanto como lo de los blancos. Next slide. Este gráfico muestra las tasas de mortalidad por, tasa y, perdón, por raza y etnicidad. Y es aterrador de, debido a las tasas entre, que, que van aumentando entre los afroamericanos y los latinos. Este gráfico también muestra la tasa de mortalidad por niveles de pobreza en las comunidades. Eh, lo que muestra que las comunidades con alto nivel de pobreza eh, siguen teniendo cuatro veces la tasa de mortalidad de las comunidades con bajos niveles de pobreza. Eh, est estas líneas son importantes para ver el panorama, panorama general de cómo COVID-19 está afectando a nuestros residentes y nuestras comunidades. Con eso en mente, eh, me complace anunciar que acabamos de lanzar un portal de datos eh, actualizado para facilitar a los medios de comunicación, profesionales de salud, investigadores y miembros del público a obtener datos uh, precisos y oportunos eh, sobre lo que estamos viendo en el condado de Los Ángeles, especialmente en este momento crucial. 
está diseñado para mostrar los puntos de datos clave, incluyendo los promedios de importantes de siete días que estamos viendo todos los días. Eh, esperamos que el formato gráfico y accesible de esta página web lo ayude a comprender el panorama general de las condiciones de COVID-19 aquí en, en el condado de Los Ángeles. Puede acceder a este nuevo portal de datos en publichealth.lacounty.gov. Eh, me gustaría cerrar con algunas noticias alentadoras. Eh, todos sabemos que estamos en un punto crucial, un tiempo en el que nos llevará a todos trabajando juntos frenar la propagación de este virus mortal. Next slide. Me complace informar que por lo que observaron nuestros inspectores durante el fin de semana feriado del 4 de julio, eh, nuestros negocios y residentes parecen estar cumpliendo con las acciones responsables que son tan esenciales. Nuestros inspectores estuvieron fuera este fin de semana y encontraron un cumplimiento significativo para evitar la propagación de COVID-19. Los inspectores visitaron 1,101 restaurantes dentro del 3 y el 5 de julio. Ellos encontraron que el 99% de los restaurantes estaban cumpliendo con nuestra orden de ofrecer comida al aire libre uh, o para llevar o para entregar al domicilio. 98% cumplía con distanciamiento físico. 99% de los clientes usaban cubiertas de tela para la cara. 82% de los empleados usaban protectores faciales. 82 bares fueron visitados y todos fueron cerrados. 8 cervecerías y bodegas visitadas también todas fueron cerradas. Y además visitamos 74 hoteles. 90% de los hoteles cumplía con distanciamiento físico. El 97% cumplía con el uso de cubiertas de tela para la cara. Les agradecemos a todos, a los negocios, igual que a los clientes, por sus esfuerzos. Y es alentador a saber que podemos lograr tanto cuando trabajamos juntos. Eh, pero es importante, le pedimos uh, sinceramente que por favor, si puede, quedes en casa lo más sea posible. Y si necesita salir para trabajar o hacer mandados esenciales, póngase la cubierta de tela para la cara y, como dijo la supervisora Solís, póngasela correctamente. Debe de cubrirse la nariz y la boca. Y si no usa la cubierta de tela, no protege a nadie. Y recuerde, aunque todos extrañamos la normalidad del pasado, todavía no es seguro ni inteligente volver a ver amigos y a familiares uh, con los que no vivimos. Podría infectarse sin saberlo y transmitir el virus a alguien que podría ser fatal para ellos. Esta conciencia y el conocimiento de que realmente somos los guardianes de nuestros hermanos y hermanas eh, nos da el poder de frenar la devastadora propagación de COVID-19. And now we'll move on to remarks in Armenian by Nona Oganisian. Barrior Bolorin. Shnurakalem vera huskich marmineri vokch horortin. Shnurakalem vera das solisin. Ais hamacharakin tatskum nra sharnakakan rekavarchan hamar. Menk ais chiknajami mech katnavumen kritikakan hanguitsi mech. Menk matnumenk 
մի փուլ, որի ժամանակ մենք տեսնում ենք համայնքային տարածում եւ հոսպիտալացում, ինչպես տեսանք ապրիլի վերջին, այն հույսով, որ դա կլիներ վարակի բարձր կետը Լոս Անջելոս շրջանում։ Բայց ինչպես տեսանք այս շափատ, մեր դեպքերը աճում են, հիվանդանոցների մահճակալների թվերը աճում են։ Եվ այսօր մենք տեսնում ենք մահերի թվերի փոքր աջ չնայած սա տվյալների կետ է, որը որպես կանոն զիջում է բոլոր մյուսներին։ Դժբախտաբար մենք ակնկալում ենք, որ մեր սիրելների եւ հարևանների ավելի շատ կմահանան COVID-19-ից առաջիկա շափատների ընթացքում։ Քանի որ մենք տեսնում ենք տվյալների խորը մտահոգություններ, այսօր ես կցանկանայի ուղղակի օրեն սկսվել մահվան եւ դեպքերի հաշվարկի մեր ամենօրյա զեկույցից, այնուհետև առաջարկել ավելին լայն ենթատեքստ, որը օգնում է մեզ այս տվյալները հեռանկարային դարձնելու։ Ներկա իրավիճակը հետևյալն է։ Այսօր ցավով հայտնում ենք եւս 65 մահվան մասին։ Այս մարդկանցից 34-ը 65 տարեկանից բարձր էին, որոնցից 33-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ 23 անձի տարիքը 41-ից 65-ն է եւ 13-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ 5-ը անձի տարիքը 18-ից 40-ն է եւ 4-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Սա բերում է ընդհանուր մահերի թիվը 3642-ի Լոս Անջելոս շրջանում։ 3389 մարդկանց համար, ովքեր մահացել են, ռասա էթնիկական պատկանելությունը հետևյալն է։ 45%-ը լատինոլատինեքս, 27%-ը սպիտակ, 16%-ը ասիական, 11%-ը աֆրոամերիկացիներ, 1%-ը բնիկ հավայան, 1%-ը մեկալ ռասա եւ էթնիկ խումբ։ COVID-19-ով մահացած անձանց 93%-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ, ինչը կարևորում է այն անձանց, ովքեր առողջության լուրջ խնդիրներ ունեն, մնալ տանը եւ հնարավորինը սխուսափել սերտ կապերից։ Այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 2496 նոր դեպքերի մասին Եվ սա բերում է Լոս Անջելոս շրջանի դրական դեպքերի ընդհանուր թիվը 123400-ի։ Այս դեպքերը ներառում են Լոնգ Բիչ քաղաքում մեր գործընկերների կողմից գրանցված 4690 դեպքեր, իսկ Փասեդենա քաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 1415 դեպքեր, որոնք ունեն անկախ առողջապահական բաժանմունքներ։ Մենք հայտնում ենք 759 հաստատված դեպք անոթևան ապրող մարդկանց շրջանում։ Ապաստան գտած 277 անց պատշաճ կերպով մեկուսացված են, իսկ սերտ կապերը կարանտինացված են։ Անոթևան ապրող մարդկանց մեծ մասը, ովքեր դրական են COVID-19-ի համար, եղել են միության փրկարար առաքելության հյուրերը։ Ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել են 2004 մարդ, որոնցից 26%-ը գտնվում են ինտենսիվ խնամքի բաժանմունքում, իսկ 17%-ը միացված են շնչարական օդափոխիչների։ Ներկայումս քննություններ են կատարվում 841 ինստիտուցիոնալ բնակչության հաստատություններում։ Դրանց թվում են ծերանոցներ, ապաստաններ, բուժման կենտրոններ, օժանդակվող բնակելի հաստատություններ եւ քրեակատարողական հիմնարկներ։ Ինստիտուցիոնալ միջավայրում հաստատված ընդհանուր դեպքերը 20714-ն են ներառյալ անձնակազմը եւ բնակիչներ։ 
Այս դեպքերից 12424-ը բնակիչներ են, 8290-ը անձնակազմ։ Ցավով ենք հայտնում, որ 1885 մարդ, ովքեր ապրում էին ինստիտությունալ պայմաններում, մահացել են COVID-19-ից։ Ինստիտությունալ միջավայրում բնակվող մահացածներից 1696-ը բնակվում էին հմուտ բուժքույրական հաստատություններում։ Մենք ցավում ենք այս կորուստի համար։ Մենք զեկուցում ենք, որ հաստատված 3217 դեպք արձանագրվել է քրեակատարողական հիմնարկներում։ 2900 դատապարտյալ եւ 319 աշխատող։ 185 դեպք նահանգային բանտերում։ 128 բանտարկյալ եւ 57 աշխատակազմ։ 756 դեպք ֆեդերալ բանտերում։ 741 բանտարկյալ եւ 15 աշխատող։ 75 դեպք անչափահասների հաստատություններում, 27 բանտարկյալ եւ 48 աշխատող։ Մենք տեղադրում ենք հաստատված դեպքերի եւ մահվանդիվը մերկայքում, աշխատողներին, բնակիչներին եւ ընտանիքներին տեղեկացնելուց հետո։ Եվ Լոս Անջելոս շրջանի արձանագրված բոլոր նոր դեպքերը կարող եք տեսնել առողջապահության վարչության կայքում publichealth.lacounty.gov Ավելի քան 1,229,772 մարդ տեստավորվել են եւ արդյունքները զեկուցվել են Լոս Անջելոս շրջան, որից 9%-ը դրական են։ Ես ուզում եմ քաջալերել ձեզ տեստավորվել, եթե ունեք ախտանիշներ։ Տարածաշրջանային տեստավորման վայրերում ժամադրության համար կարող եք այցելել covid19.lacounty.gov/testing Նոր տվյալների պորտալ։ Ես ուրախ եմ տեղեկացնել, որ մենք պարզապես գործարկել ենք նորացված տվյալների պորտալ լրատվամիջոցների, առողջապահության ոլորտի մասնագետների, հետազոտողների եւ հասարակության անդամների համար ավելի հեշտ դարձնելու, ճշգրիտ եւ ժամանակին տվյալները հասանելի դարձնելու։ Լոս Անջելոս կոմսությունում իրավիճակի վերաբերյալ Հուսովենք, որ այս վեբ էջի գրաֆիկական եւ հասանելի ձևաչափը կօգնի ձեզ հասկանալու Լոս Անջելոս կոմսությունում COVID-19-ի պայմաններում եղած մեծ պատկերը։ Դուք կարող եք մուտ գործել տվյալների այս նոր պորտալը այցելելով publichealth.lacounty.gov։ Ես շատ ուրախ եմ հայտնել, որ մեր տեսուչները արձանագրեցին, որ հուլիսի 4-ի արցակուրթային հանգստան օրերին Մեր ձեռնարկություններն ու բնակիչները կարծես սրտանց ընդունում են շատ կարևոր նշանակություն ունեցող պատասխանատու գործողությունները։ Մեր տեսուչները այս հանգստան օրերին հայտնաբերել են զգալի համապատասխանություն կանխելու COVID-19-ի տարածումը։ Հուլիսի 3-ից 5-ը տեսուչները այցելել են 1101 ռեստորաններ, նրանք գրարել են, որ ռեստորաների 99%-ը կատարում են մեր պատվերը։ որը նախատեսնված է միայն ճաշմատուցել բացօցյատարածքում կամ առաքել։ 98%-ը համապատասխանում էր ֆիզիկական հեռավորությանը եւ հաճախորդների 99%-ը կրում էին դիմակներ։ Աշխատողների 82%-ը կրում էին դեմքի վահաններ, այցելել են 82 բար Եվ բոլորը փակված են եղել, այցելել են 8 գարեջուրատուն եւ գինագործություն, եւ բոլորը փակ են եղել։ 
բացի այդ այցելել են 74 հյուրանոց, 90 տոկոսը համապատասխանում էր ֆիզիկական հերավորությանը եւ 97 տոկոսը բավարարում էր դիմակ կրելը։ Ես շատ շնորհակալ եմ այն ջանքերի համար, որոնք մենք տեսնում ենք բիզնեսների այնպես էլ հաճախորդների կողմից։ Իմ ուղերցը բոլորին, ովքեր այսօր Լոս Անջելոս շրջանը համարում են իրենց տունը, հանդիսանում է այն բարի գործը, որ մեր տեսությունները տեսան Արցակուրթային Հանգստյան օրերի ընթացքում։ Խուսափեք բազմություններից, Խուսափեք սահմանափակ տարածքներից եւ սերտ կապերից այն մարդկանց հետ, որոնց հետ չեք ապրում։ Հնարավորության դեպքում մնացեք տանը։ Եթե դուք պետք է դուրս գաք աշխատանքի կամ կարևոր գործերի, ապա ձեր դեմքը ծածկեք։ Այն պետք է ծածկի ինչպես ձեր բերանը, այնպես էլ ձեր քիթը։ Եթե դուք ճիշտ չեք ծածկում դեմքը, ոչ ոք չի պաշտպանվում։ Եվ հիշեք, չնայած մենք բոլորս կարոտում ենք նախկին ապրելաձևը, այն ու ամենայնիվ անվտանգ կամ խելացի չի վերադառնալ այն ընկերներին եւ ընտանիքներին, որոնց հետ մենք չենք ապրում։ Դուք կարող եք վարակվել առանց դա իմանալու եւ փոխանցել վիրուսը, որը կարող է ճակատագրական լինել ձեր սիրած անձի համար։ Այս գուշացումները այն գիտելիքը, որ մենք իսկապես մեր եղբայրների եւ քույրերի պահապաններն ենք, մեզ հնարավորություն է տալիս դանդաղեցնել այս վիրուսի կործանիչ տարածումը։ Շնորհակալություն։ Thank you. Now the remarks in Korean. Anyashimnika, Los Angeles County Bogon Dangugi Barpyoan Daily Report를 말씀드리겠습니다. 유감스럽게도 코로나 바이러스로 인해 추가로 65명의 사망자가 있었음을 알게 되었습니다. 이중 34명은 65세 이상이고 그중 33명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 이중 23명은 41세에서 65세 사이이고 그중 13명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 이중 5명은 18에서 40세 사이였고 이중 4명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 롱비치에서는 3명의 사망자가 있었고 자세한 점은 롱비치.net 웹사이트에서 보실 수 있습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서의 총 사망자 수는 3,642명입니다. 코로나 바이러스로 인해 사망한 분들 중에 93%가 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 오늘로써 2,496건의 새로운 확진 케이스가 보고되었습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서의 총 확진 케이스 수는 123,000건입니다. 이 수는 롱비치시에서 4,690건, 파사디나시에서 1,415건이 있었고 이두 시는 각 보건구가 따로 있음을 알려드립니다. 노숙자들 중에 확진 케이스 수는 759건이고 이들 중 277명은 보호소에서 고립되어 있었으며 밀접 접촉자는 격리되었습니다. 현재 2,004명의 양성 확진자로 병원에 입원해 있으며 이중 26%는 중환자실에 17%는 인공호흡기에 의존해 있습니다. 하나 이상의 확진 케이스가 나온 총 841개의 거주시설과 비거주시설을 조사하였으며 이중 645개는 현재 조사 중이고 196개는 조사를 마쳤습니다. 거주시설에는 양로원, 전문 간호시설, 보호소, 치료소, 서포트 리빙, 교도소가 포함되어 있고 비거주시설에는 직장, 음식점, 상점, 교육기관을 포함하고 있습니다. 
시설에서의 총 확진 케이스는 2714건이고 이중 12424명은 거주자이며 8290명은 일하는 사람들입니다. 시설에 살고 있는 사람들 중에 사망자 수는 1885명이고 이중 1696명은 간호시설에 살고 있었습니다. 오늘 보고된 새로, 새로운 화, 사망자 62명 중에 6명은 즉 10%는 전문 간호시설에서 살고 있었습니다. 교도시설에서는 총 3,217건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 2,900명은 수감자이며 317명은 일하는 사람입니다. 보안관 사무실에서는 59건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 778명은 회복한 수감자이며 98명은 고립되어 있고 2,935명은 격리되어 있는 수감자입니다. 주정부 교도소에서는 185건의 새로운 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 128명은 수감자이고 57명은 일하는 사람들입니다. 연방교도소에서는 756건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 741명은 수감자이며 15명은 일하는 사람입니다. 소년원에서는 75건의 확진 케이스가 있었고 이중 27명은 수감자이며 48명은 일하는 사람입니다. 지금까지 LA보건부로 122만 9,072건 이상이 코로나 바이러스 테스트를 받은 것으로 보고되었으며 이중 9%는 양성 결과였습니다. 7일 평균 1일 확진률은 10.4%로 증가하였습니다. 인종과 민족성이 알려진 3,389명의 사망자 중에서 45%는 라틴계, 27%는 백인계, 16%는 동양인, 11%는 흑인, 1% 미만은 하와이 태평양섬 원주민, 그리고 1%는 기타 인종이었습니다. 7일 평균 간의 새로운 확진 케이스 수는 계속 증가하고 있습니다. 유행병 초기에 우리는 대부분 이미 아픈 사람들을 테스트하였는데 4월 초에 확진률은 15%였습니다. 그런데 현재 많은 무증상자도 테스트를 하고 있고 그 확진률은 여전히 11% 정도입니다. 3일 평균 간에 1,965명이 병원에 입원해 있었으며 이 수치는 계속 증가하고 있습니다. 이 수치는 앞으로 수일 또 수주 내에 사망률 또한 증가할 것임을 볼수 있습니다. 뉴스미디어와 의료서비스 종사자, 연구가 그리고 일반 대중들이 LA 카운티에서 일어나고 있는 코비드19와 관련된 정확하고 신속한 데이터를 볼수 있도록 업데이트된 데이터 포털을 만들게 되었습니다. 7일간의 평균 수치를 포함한 중요한 데이터들을 볼수 있고 코비드19의 상태가 LA 카운트에 어떤 영향을 미치고 있는지 쉽게 볼수 있도록 만들어졌습니다. 이 새로운 데이터 포털은 웹사이트 publichealth.lacounty.gov에서 보실 수 있습니다. 희망적인 소식도 전해드리고 싶은데요. 7월 4일 공휴일 주말 동안 검시관들은 사업체와 주민분들이 COVID-19의 확산을 막기 위해 협조한 것임을 볼수 있었습니다. 검시관들은 7월 3일부터 5일까지 1,101의 식당을 방문하였습니다. 이 중에 99%의 식당에서 야외 식사 마련, 또 투고, 오더, 또 배달로만 영업을 하는 그런 명령에 잘 따라주셨습니다. 98%의 식당에서는 신체적 거리 두기의 명령을 준수하였습니다. 99%의 손님들이 얼굴 가리개를 착용하였습니다. 82%의 직원들은 얼굴 보호대를 차용하였습니다. 82개의 술집을 방문하였는데 모두 영업을 중단한 상태였습니다. 8개의 양조장과 
와이너리를 방문하였는데 모두 영업을 중단한 상태였습니다. 그에 더해 74개의 호텔을 방문하였는데 90%는 신체적 거리두기 명령을 순종하였습니다. 또한 97%는 얼굴 가리개를 착용하라는 명령에 순종하였습니다. 모든 사업체와 손님들이 나타내 신 노력에 감사드립니다. LA 카운티에 사는 모든 분들께 말씀드리고 싶은 것은 이번 공휴일 주말 동안 검시관들이 보았던 것처럼 이렇게 계속 잘 노력해 주셨으면 하는 것입니다. 어, 무리지어 있는 것, 또 갇혀 있는 공간, 또 함께 살지 않는 사람들과 밀접한 접촉을 멀리하십시오. 할수 있다면 가능한 많이 집에 머물러 있으십시오. 직장이나 중요한 일로 밖에 나가야 한다면 얼굴 가리개를 꼭 쓰고 또 정확하게 쓰십시오. 코나 입을 꼭 가려야 합니다. 만약 정확히 쓰지 않는다면 아무도 보호할 수가 없습니다. 기억할 것은 우리가 예전 생활이 몹시 그립지만 같이 살고 있지 않은 친구와 가족들을 만나는 것은 여전히 위험합니다. 우리가 모르는 사이에 그들을 점염시킬 수도 있고 사랑하는 사람들에게 치명적인 바이러스를 확산할 수도 있기 때문입니다. 우리가 우리 형제들과 자매들의 보호자라는 사실을 기억하고 이 바이러스의 확산을 늦추기 위해 힘을 다해야 할 것입니다. 감사합니다. Next, Alan Chung from Environmental Health with Brief in Mandarin. Thank you. 在整个疫情期间一直坚定的和我们在一起并领导我们一起抗疫各位下午好我们现在正处在疫情的一个关键点现在的情况包括社区传播和住院的状况就像四月份出现的一样但希望这是一个疫情的高点也是拐点在这个
我们有三千三百八十九人已确定了他们的族裔背景，在这三千三百八十九人中，拉丁裔占百分之四十五，白人占百分之二十七，亚洲人占百分之十六，非裔占百分之十一，不足百分之一的是属于夏威夷群岛或周围的太平洋群岛的人，还有不足百分之一是其他族裔。我们今天新添的病例是两千四百九十六，这样洛杉矶县整个县的病例总数就上升到了十二万三千零四人。这些病例中，当然包括有从长滩市的四千六百九十人和帕萨迪纳市的一千四百一十五人。我们也有七百五十九例来自无家可归的人，其中。我们给两百七十七人提供了庇护所，并做了相应的隔离。我们的住院人人数是两千零四人，其中这两千零四人中有百分之二十六的病人住在加护病房，另外百分之十七的病人需要使用呼吸机。我们同时对八百四十一例。大型住宅和非住宅的机构进行了调查，这些机构中至少有一例是已知新冠病毒患者，其中645个正在调查中， 196个已结束调查。这些机构包括疗养院、福州居住所、避难所、治疗中心、院子居住中心、工作场所、教育机构。各个机构确诊病例的总人数为两万七百一十四人，其中居民的人数是一万两千四百二十四人，员工的人数是七百七千九百零四人。其中有一千八百八十五人去世的人来自机构诊所，其中一千六百九十六人则是来自于熟练护送。护那个护理机构的之类的。今天新添的六十二例的死亡病例中，有六人来自于首领护理机构，这占百分之十。我们再来看看监禁场所，监狱里有三千二百一十七例是新冠病毒患者，其中两千九百为囚犯，三百一十七人为管教人员。县警局上报的数中有五十九个人囚犯是为妓女，七百八十人已康复，八百八十人，呃，八十八人处于隔离状况，两千九百三十五人是处于检疫和隔离状况中。周监狱里有一百五十八个阳性病例，其中一百二十八个人是属于囚犯。五十七是管教人员，联邦监狱里面有七百五十六例，其中七百四十一例是囚犯，十五人是属于管教人员。少年管教所总共有七十五人病例，其中二十七人是少年囚犯，四十八人是管教人员。我们来再看看测试的资料。
，我们洛杉矶公共卫生局总共收集了一百二十二万九千零七十二七十二例检测结果，其中百分之九十不百分之九呈阳性，阳性病例的七天平均值上到目前到今天上升到了十百分之十点四。大家知道，每一天的各项指标虽然很重要，但七天的平均趋势也给我们一个很重要的提示。那我们现在通过几张图片来看一看目前的这种状况。那现在第一张图片里面，我们很重要的有些东西就是六月初我们每天新增是一千三百例，每天。而现在我们每天的新增是两千四百三十四例，七天移动平均，则告诉了我们过去几周里所发生的一些事情，即在我们洛杉矶县的病例急剧增加，增加的速度非常快。那第二章。我们也看到了，四月份带状病患者的测试阳性比率为百分之十五，而现在呢，即使是无症、无症状患者，他检测的阳性率也达到了百分之十一，这是个非常恐怖的数字。其他的几张三、第四、第五个 slide 我们就不不要谈，不要就 pass 过去。我们现在这今天的一个新的。在现的那个啊、呃、website 里面新建了一个数据窗口，这个窗口给新媒体、给医护人员、研究人员及公众提供了更及时、更精确的数据，大家可以到现网站去查询。最后一个，这个周末我们进行我们的检查员。做了大量的抽样调查，对零售业，尤其是餐餐饮业，抽查的结果显示，大多数商大多数商户都非常遵守预防各种预防措施。当然，尽管这只是周末的数据，但是足以让我们可以看到，大家在这一段时间中的非常大的进步。检察员对一千一百零一个餐馆做了抽样调查，那我们统计结果就是百分之九十九的餐馆都遵循了户外就餐的规定，百分之九十八遵循了遵守了社交距离的规规定，百分之九十九的客人都有佩戴正确的佩戴面罩，百分之八十二的员工都带有面防护面具。百分二，其中八十二个酒吧也因要求关门了。最后，我想利用这个结束语来呼吁我们每一个把洛杉矶县当做自己家的朋友，让我们继续努力，保持我们在这个独立节周末我们所做的一切。我们。要争取做到避免三个 C， 
use crowds confirm the space or close contact. 那用中文来说就是，不要避免聚集，不要在密封的空间里与密与家庭之外的生人亲密接触。再次提醒大家，尽量待在家里。如果一定要外出，不论是外出工作或因重要的事件，都应佩戴口罩，而且要佩戴正确，让口罩遮住你的嘴和鼻子。如果口罩戴的不正确，那我们谁也得不到保护，你我他，一定要记住，我们都十分想念以往我们曾经的生活，但现在我们还不是互相串门的时候，而我们一起互相看顾，就像互相看顾自己的兄弟姐妹一样，只有这样，我们才能够真正的延缓。这一新冠病毒的传播。That concludes for today. Thank you. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast.